thank you, everybody. Good morning. It's lovely to see you here. It's a cool morning, and uh, but uh, never mind. And I'm in the gloom down at the front here. I can just about see what I've got to say this morning. So hope you got a copy of the notes. There probably isn't a copy for everybody because it's hard to gauge how many uh, will need them. This is the first of uh, three seminars, and they do kind of link together. It is a trio. Uh, and uh, the theme that I've been asked to talk about uh, is uh, Rhythms of Grace. Uh, most of the material is taken from uh, a book which I wrote some years ago by that title, which is called Rhythms of Grace. The subtitle is Finding Intimacy with God in a Busy Life. Uh, <clears throat> So if you want the fuller version, there are copies of this, I think, on the bookstall. Um, and you'll be able to uh, purchase them uh, there as well if you want the fuller version. Uh, Alice uh, introduced me there. I come from Yorkshire. That's where I'm based. That's where I was born and grew up. But worked with my wife with Overseas Missionary Fellowship in Malaysia for quite a number of years. Then was pastor of a local church and... Uh, before working at a Christian conference and training center, running a missions program there. And it was during that time that I began to realize how many Christians experience burnout. And uh, I found myself living on the edge of burnout myself, living the exhausted life, not the abundant life. And um, also I began to yearn for a deeper intimacy with God. And uh, that led me to kind of search into what we call the contemplative tradition. And I want to share you, with you today and over the next uh, three days uh, some insights from that contemplative tradition. The theme that we have here for New Horizon is about God's unconditional love. And in order to love other people, we need to know that we are deeply loved ourselves. And when we receive that love, then we can pass it on to others. And so as we've been hearing this morning, we are blessed by God, not for selfish enjoyment, but in order that we may become a blessing. And so I want to talk to you really about what we call the rhythms of grace, how it is that we ourselves can receive that love and know that we are loved by God in order that we can share his love with other people. And I'm going to look at that in three different ways. First of all, this morning, it's about drawing closer. I'm going to share with you three practices or three holy habits or three spiritual disciplines that help us to move from the circumference, as it were, to the center, from being far away, feeling far away from God, to that place where we are centered upon Him and feel where we are in contact with Him. Then tomorrow we're going to look at uh, going deeper, which is where the movement where having come to the center, we can then go deeper into our knowledge and our experience of God. So that's the second movement. And then the third day on Thursday, we'll look at keeping going, which is how we work this out in the busyness of our lives. It's about being staying centered, about abiding in Christ and in the midst of busyness. So that's the kind of plan. And that's why I say these three uh, seminars do hang together and you will get the most benefit if you can come to all three of them. So this morning I want to look at, introduce you to these three disciplines, the three S's, stillness, 
silence and solitude. Or as we may say in Yorkshire a bit more directly, slow down, shut up and clear off. <laughs> Stillness, silence and solitude. Uh, because these are the practices that will bring us from feeling far away, living on the circumference as it were, to becoming more centered upon God. So let's think first of all about uh, silence. Silence in the midst of a busy world. We live in a busy world, don't we? And uh, Sorry, stillness, I mean, in a busy world. And the world is always moving. It has its own rhythm. And it's a very fast beat. And we find ourselves actually living to the beat of the world and society around us, which never wants to stop. It wants to keep going 24-7 and seven days a week. And uh, we find ourselves caught up in that as well. And yet the, the, the Bible is pretty clear that if you want to know God and to know him deeply, and if you want to experience this love of God for yourself, then you will need to take time to slow down so that you can breathe and so that you can receive from God. These three disciplines I'm talking about, actually I like the vitamins for your soul. I was reading yesterday that because of the lack of sunlight, many people suffer from a deficiency of vitamin D. Uh, so either you have to take supplements or find some sunshine somewhere. So I guess most of us will be a bit short of vitamin D today. <laughs> and it causes your bones to be brittle and so on. And I think Stillness, silence and solitude are like the vitamins which your soul needs. Your soul, the part of you that connects with God, that is in that living relationship with God, needs stillness and silence and solitude to be in good health. I don't know if you're like me, but on a morning now, I have to take tablets. I've got three different ones. One to keep my blood thin, one to keep my knees bendable, and one to give me the other vitamins that I'm lacking. <laughs> That's why I look so young and healthy, you see. But sometimes we care for our body very carefully, but we're not so conscious of what our soul needs. And it needs these three things, stillness, silence, and solitude. Just thinking about uh, stillness, first of all, let me remind you of this great verse, this classic verse, which you will know so well, from Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is a psalm perhaps written when Jerusalem was surrounded by its enemies and King Hezekiah is under threat from Sennacherib and he goes to the prophet Isaiah and shares with the prophet Isaiah and together they seek God. And this psalm comes out of that background of fear when all the world is in turmoil. So it's very much a psalm for today, I believe. But the, the, the great verse is verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, my plan and my purpose, that big story, will come to pass... But in order to realize that, I need to be still and reflect upon it. And let the knowledge of God come to me. Because the knowledge of God 
comes by revelation. It's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the information that we have in our heads and he reveals it to us in our heart so that we can live by the truth that we know. So often there's a gap between what people know in their head and what they do in their life. And often that is because uh, we have not been still and actually thought about who God is and his plans and purposes for us. And sometimes the pace of life prevents us from doing that. We are so rushed and hurried and harried that we have little time to stop. We're dashing from one thing to another. We have our agenda, our to-do list. We're living our purpose-driven life. We are trying to get the most out of every day. And God says in the midst of that, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 verse 10. Crucial verse, significant for the spiritual life. I was leading a retreat last week and always on a retreat I give opportunity for people if they want some personal time to come and have a chat. And one of the ladies came for a chat with me, uh, a retired lady in her late 70s. And uh, the issue that she wanted to talk about was how she could manage her over busy life. She said, I am up to here. This is a 77-year-old talking. So we talked about the things that she was involved in, and, and I suggested to her, why don't you make a list of what you do on Monday, each day of the week, and then tomorrow let me have a look at it, and we'll talk about it some more. And so she did that very thing. She made a list, and when I saw this list, I was a bit surprised. In fact, I was shocked. <laughs> there was not a day when she didn't have at least half a dozen things that she was involved in, caring for elderly people. She's a 77-year-old herself, but still caring for others. Church activities, volunteering to do gardens for people. And she's 77. And so we talked about, you know, giving herself permission, actually, to have some time for herself. I said, Beryl, in all these seven days, there is no time for you. It's all thinking about other people, and it seems very noble and very good, but she was up to here because of one thing, she couldn't say no. It isn't easy to say no, it isn't easy to establish boundaries in our lives, and sometimes because of the pace of life, we get overwhelmed. Many of us come from evangelical backgrounds, and evangelicalism is very much centered upon activity, you show that you are saved by what you do, so you get busy. Many of us live by what we call the Protestant work ethic. It's the devil who makes work for idle hands, so we make sure that we keep busy because we don't want to be associated with the devil, and we feel guilty if we stop and so on. So we, we thrive ourselves on doing as much as we possibly can. And then some of us may have a charismatic dimension as well, and the charismatic dimension says, and now you've got the power to do more as well, so you can even do even more than you were doing before. And so in the DNA of both evangelicalism and charismatic spirituality is this push to do more. Keep on being busy. If you're busy, you must be spiritual. If your life is full of meetings and activities and doing this and that, then surely God is pleased with you. And the reality is that sometimes we are driven beyond the call of God. By which we mean we are doing things which God has not asked us to do, does not require us to do. 
And the result of that is that our soul inside becomes threadbare. It becomes worn out. And it loses its vitality and its sharpness. And sometimes, even though we are so busy doing things for God, we find ourselves feeling cut adrift from Him, actually. We have no intimacy with God. That's where the contemplative strand comes in, comes to our rescue. And I discovered it only when I was turned 50 and having a little sabbatical. And I set myself to explore this contemplative strand. And I discovered three wonderful, life-changing truths. The first is that my identity is not found in what I do, but in who I am. And who am I? I am God's beloved child. Now, in one sense, I'd always known that, but I'd known it just in my head. When I began to slow down, when I began to understand the benefits of quietness and stillness and solitude, that's when the love of God was shed abroad in my heart, and I encountered this divine love. And it completely changed me from the inside out. I began to see it's not what I do, but who I am that counts. And who am I? I'm God's beloved child. 1 John 3 verse 1, for example, says, See how great the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. That's who we really are. And that has to be the starting off point for everything, that I know myself to be deeply loved and cherished and nourished by a loving Heavenly Father. Once you know that that is your identity, then you can begin to live from the inside out, letting your inner life be the spring of your outer life so that your being actually determines your doing. Jesus said, if, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if you drink, you will receive the Spirit of God. And then a river will begin to flow. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the life of God coming into you, flowing out from you. And that river begins to flow when you connect with God in this deep place. When you take time to nourish and nurture your inner life. Not just living in the outer world, but looking after the inner world of the soul and of the spirit. And stillness is so important in doing that. It gives us the benefit to do that. So I want to encourage you to give yourself permission to be still. Just to be still. To be still and know that he is God. You'll find actually that it's not easy to be still. Sometimes you can have outer stillness. You can be in a lovely, quiet place. place that is helpful towards reflection and so on, and yet inside you can't rest. Inside your mind is going, inside your heart is going, you're thinking of this, thinking of that, you feel kind of restless. So stillness is actually something that we have to learn to do. We don't live in a world which is still. It's counter-cultural. It's counter-intuitive in some ways because the philosophy that we have is you, you've got to make things happen. So not to do things seems wrong somehow. Yet so often the Bible says to us, as it did to the people of Israel in the Exodus, 
Just stand still. Be still. And as Isaiah said to Hezekiah, and as God spoke to the people, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. So the, the first vitamin for the soul is what we might call stillness. Slowing down. Giving ourselves permission to do that. The second thing I want to share with you is about silence. About learning to be quiet. Because we live in a very noisy world. There is noise all around us. The world is constantly sending messages to us, screaming for our attention, demanding that we look this way, we look that way. And many of us like to fill our lives with noise as well. Noise distracts us from thinking deeply. And some of us want to be distracted, so we fill our lives with noise. Very often you see people and they're walking around and they've got things in their ears so that they can be listening to music or whatever they're listening to. They're traveling on the train, they've got big earphones on, they're watching films on their laptop. It's as if people are afraid of silence. We feel uncomfortable around silence. And yet, some of the prophets are very clear. Habakkuk there, I've given you some references. Habakkuk 2 verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Do you know what the response to that is? To the presence of God. Anybody know how that verse continues? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. That's the most appropriate response to the presence of God. Just keep quiet. Be still. And be quiet. Because why? Because God himself is there. Yet most of us, when we find ourselves in that place of intimacy, we feel so vulnerable. We feel we've got to say something. Like Peter on the mountain when of transfiguration, he kind of blurts out, well, shall we make some booze so that we can remember this event? And, it, and the scripture says, because he did not know what he was saying. And sometimes we talk because, well, we just talk. The Bible, again, is very full of the danger of the tongue, of saying too much, talking too soon, talking words which hurt, and so on. And it talks about guarding our tongue. And there's great wisdom just actually in being careful in our words, in not saying too much. Proverbs says, you know, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. A friend of mine used to say, if you can't improve on the silence, don't say anything. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in that. But many of us are afraid of silence. So when there is a silence, we, want, we have to blurt something out, really, because it unnerves us. Silence unnerves us, actually, in some kind of way. But silence is actually that which will take us deeper and help us to get in touch with what's going on inside us. And so that we can hear the still, small voice of God. You know, Elijah's experience, God was not in the earthquake, he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the fire. That's where you would expect to find God, but God wasn't in none of those things. Where did God speak to him? Through a still, small voice, the whisper of love. And in order to hear the whisper of love, you have to become silent yourself. And then the voice of God, which is already present within you, 
because your soul and your spirit are connected to God, suddenly you can hear what God is saying. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me, but he doesn't shout at them. It's a gentle whisper. I was once in a home group and we'd finished our study and we're having a time of prayer. But before we prayed, we, we just said, well, let's be still before we pray and just be quiet. And it was a family house and, and a busy house and the children had gone to bed. And for the first time, the house was still. And in the stillness, you could hear the, talk, uh, the, 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 the clock ticking on the mantelpiece. And it occurred to me that that clock had been ticking all day long. But probably nobody ever heard it. <laughs> but it was there. Tick tock, tick tock. And then in the stillness, that which was always there became audible. And so often the voice of God is all around us, but we're not hearing it, we're missing it because of the pace that we're living at, but also because our lives are drowned out in noise. So if we're to go deeper with God, if we're to come from the edges into the center, we will learn, need to learn how to practice silence and, and perhaps even also silent prayer. Because sometimes, you know, we think prayer is just words. Prayer is about words. And that's why Jesus said, you know, be careful. It's not the amount of words that you say that's going to bring you close to God. Don't babble on like the pagans. Actually, you just need a few words. And sometimes you don't need any words at all. There is a form of prayer which we call silent prayer when you can actually just enjoy sitting in the presence of God, relaxing in His presence, you don't feel the need to say anything. You're just happy to be with Him and He delights to be with you. You know, when you're not familiar with somebody, if you give a stranger a lift or somebody you don't know very well, almost certainly you will talk non-stop. Because we don't feel comfortable in silence with people that we don't know. You only feel comfortable in silence with somebody that you know really well. Then you can have what we might call a companionable silence. So like my wife and I sometimes, we, sit, we don't feel the need to talk all the time. Sometimes we're just happy to sit next to each other and just be together. That's all you need sometimes. And in our relationship with God, sometimes that's all we need is actually just to be still and to be quiet. I remember uh, taking our elders when I was a church leader on a quiet day, a retreat together. And we were spending some time in prayer. And I did what I always used to do in those days as we prayed for the church. I was kind of going through the list of people and their needs. And I was just giving God a little advice as to what you should do in this situation and that situation. You know, we tend to feel we've got to have an answer, don't we, for everybody and, uh, and advise God what he should do. And in the midst of this prayer, I felt God say to me very clearly, and this is, shows that God is a Yorkshireman, because he said, Tony, please shut up. The blunt, you see, please shut up. But I heard it as clearly as anything, and, and, it, and it shook me. And I said to the others who were there, I said, Look, I feel God has just told me to just let's keep quiet. 
And we did, and we stopped. And in the silence, the presence of God just fell upon us, just came upon us. So that actually, we couldn't move, we couldn't say anything, didn't want to say anything. We just sat, maybe 15, 20 minutes, just kind of held in the presence of God. We could easily have missed that because sometimes we chatter, chatter, chatter. When actually all God wants to do is be with us and enjoy our fellowship and our company. So stillness and then secondly silence. Slow down, shut up. And then the third dimension here is about solitude. Finding some time and space to be alone. Why? Because we live in a very crowded world. It's interesting that Jesus practiced solitude and was often uh, leaving the crowds, leaving the noise, leaving even his disciples in order to be alone with God. Uh, I'll just read you a few verses from the beginning of Mark's Gospel. This was a pattern that the disciples saw and observed for themselves in the way that Jesus lived. He didn't always feel this need to be at everybody's beck and call. He didn't always feel this need to be busy and uh, having an agenda full of things to do. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. See, that was his practice, that was his habit. Even Jesus needed solitude. He needed time and space alone so that his soul could be re-energized, so that he could hear the still small voice, so that he could be in the presence of the Father. Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. You see, that is quite flattering to the ego, isn't it? When... Everybody is looking for you. It makes you feel really good. It makes you say, I'm doing something good here because everybody wants, wants me. But it's also a great danger when everybody is looking for you. It's where you need to put some boundaries in. Like for my friend Beryl, the 77-year-old. Everybody was looking for Beryl. Everybody wants a piece of her. But sometimes you have to put some boundaries in. So what does Jesus do? Does he say, okay... Here I am. No, he doesn't, actually. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't feel the need because everybody wants him to go. No, he says, let's go somewhere else. It's time, it's time to move on. Jesus knew how to protect his inner life. Because if you keep giving out, giving out, giving out, eventually you will have nothing left to give. And your soul will be starved of the oxygen that it needs. And the oxygen that your soul needs is the presence of God. In stillness and in silence and sometimes in solitude. Now I know the Christian life is meant to be lived in community. And I'm committed to Christian community. I'm committed to my own local church and I'm committed to friendships and relationships and that is vitally important. But we all, regardless of our personality... We need times to be alone. Some of us are maybe introverts and we are more given to stillness and silence. But I find a lot of introverts actually struggle with this as much as anybody else because they, they feel guilty about being an introvert. They feel they shouldn't be like that, that they shouldn't need stillness and silence. 
And so they push themselves to try and live like extroverts. And then there are extroverts, those of us who are extroverts, we just love to be with people. We like a buzz and we like things happening and so stillness and silence are just alien to us really. And I was like that. I didn't know, I couldn't imagine how people could benefit from a silent retreat. Whatever do you do on a silent retreat? I had no understanding, no concept of it whatsoever. Until I went on a silent retreat and then I found out what it was about. It's not about your personality. It's about the need of your soul. And it's about learning to be comfortable with yourself. So Jesus actually teaches the disciples in Mark chapter 6. Right at the beginning of their apprenticeship, he teaches them the importance of taking time aside. He's already sent them out on this mission and they've been very successful in their mission. But now, as they come back and they report to him in verse 30 of chapter 6 of Mark, he says this, The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, and, and by the way, that's a good indication that you're getting into dangerous water if you haven't got enough time to eat. If you're skipping meals, if you're not stopping in the middle of the day to rest, to pause, you're on dangerous ground. They thought they were doing, they thought they were doing really well. They thought they were very highly successful because, again, everybody wants them, you see. So in the midst of that... So many people coming and going. It sounds exciting. It feels really good. You're getting a buzz from it. Uh, you're living off adrenaline. That's what it is, actually. It's adrenaline that's moving. It's not the spirit. It's adrenaline inside you that's actually going. They don't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So straight away in his apprenticeship of these disciples, he teaches them the way that he himself was living was that not getting overwhelmed by all the demands, but actually stepping aside to be still, to be quiet, and to reconnect with God. So they went away by themselves to a solitary place. And we need to find those quiet places, those places where we can go. Those places where... When we get there, we can be still and we can be quiet and we can know that God is God. That might just be a room in your house. It might just be a favorite chair that you can sit in and where when you sit in that chair, immediately you just feel, yeah, I can just be still here. You may need to go somewhere else. It might be a church that you, that you like very much and you can go and sit in the church. It might be a quiet place along the beach or in the countryside. You can find solitary places. You are blessed in Northern Ireland. You've got many beautiful places where you can go in order to be alone. But sometimes there is resistance to this very fact of being alone. And some of that resistance actually comes because when you are alone, you meet yourself. And that is the last person some of us want to meet. <laughs> and the reason that many people keep busy and always on the go is because actually that is a great cover-up or a great 
counterbalance to other things that are going in our lives. So if we're busy and it's noisy, we don't have to think too deeply, we don't have to deal with what's inside us, we can avoid it conveniently. And instinctively, and I was like this, I have to say I was like this, the reason that I didn't want to go on a silent retreat was I had this sense inside me that there were things I needed to deal with. And that if I got in that place of stillness and silence, they'd come to the surface. And what would I do with that? And I was quite anxious about that. Fortunately, the lady who was leading that retreat was very experienced and she knew how to deal with that kind of thing. And it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought, actually. And because it was in the context of love and grace, I could actually face up to those things inside me where I needed healing, where I needed freedom, where I needed release. And it happens so easily, so gently in the context of silence. And I guess many of us, we carry pain and hurt inside us. And the way we deal with it is that we kind of push it down and we get busy and we keep busy. So that we don't have to talk about it, so we don't have to think about it, so we don't have to face up to it. And that works for a little while. But whenever you allow hurt and pain, anger, bitterness, grief, loneliness, whatever these deep emotions are, if they stay in your soul for too long, they start to become a weight upon your soul. And very easily a spirit of heaviness comes upon you and you can't rejoice in God because your soul is weighed down. It, it cannot praise, it cannot worship because it's held down like one of those helium balloons that has a weight on the end. It would love to fly upwards because that's its nature, but it can't. It's weighed down. And the soul is designed to soar upwards towards God. But very often we have a weight upon us that pulls us down. And that's why God calls us and invites us into stillness and silence and solitude. It's why in the history of the church and in the history of spirituality, the desert has always been a favorite place. God has always called people into the desert, sometimes physically into the desert, but sometimes metaphorically into the desert, into a place where you have to be quiet, into a place where you have to be alone, into a time when you've got to let God come close and deal with the brokenness, the pain and the hurt which is inside. And the wonderful thing is that silence is so healing. Because you come into contact with this wonderful God of grace. This God who loves you unconditionally. What a breakthrough that was for me when I actually realized that God loved me unconditionally. I'd been in the church for many, many years. I'd been in full-time ministry, but I didn't understand the grace of God. I knew it as a theological concept, but I didn't know it as a, an experiential reality that God loves me with an unconditional love. He loves me as I am. Tomorrow we're going to look at the story of Jacob in the morning. I'm really excited because Jacob is one of my favorite characters because he's such a scoundrel, such a twisted, broken kind of individual, and yet God <laughs> brings him into this great stream of purpose and changes and transforms him. And then God says, and I'm the God of Jacob. 
He said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and would you believe it, I am the God of Jacob. Because that is unconditional love. And I had to come to know and to realize that God was my God too. With all my brokenness, with all my mistakes, with my failure, with everything, that God loved me as I am. Not to leave me as I was, but to change me and to transform me. And that's why stillness and silence is so important. Are you getting enough of it? Are you getting enough stillness and silence and solitude? Is your soul in a good place? It will be in a good place because those have become your daily disciplines. They become part and parcel of your life. So let's think about this. How then can we incorporate these things into our lives? We're busy people. You're busy people. I'm a busy person. I think there are several things we can do. Many of you will already practice the daily quiet time. I was brought up to have a quiet time. Really it consisted in you know, reading the Bible, trying to read through the Bible in a year, and then praying for about 200 people. So it was anything but quiet, because <laughs> I was so focused on the target, I've got to read through the Bible in a year, so I've got to do at least five chapters, even if it's five chapters in Ezekiel, I will get through these five chapters. And then I've got to remember all these people I've promised to pray for, so I'll do that. And actually, if you're not very careful, the quiet time really does not help you to engage with God. Far better to spend five minutes sitting in your chair, just being quiet, recollecting that God is God. That's all you actually need to do. Even in the busiest of days, you can do that. Let that quiet time be a living connection with a living God. And if you need to change the way you do your quiet time, then change your way you do it. It's a great practice to have a great discipline, but make sure that it is life-giving, that it gives life to you. So you can do that on a daily basis. Then sometimes you can give yourself permission to have a morning, an evening, an afternoon, whatever works best for you, for a quiet day, a quiet time. Maybe on a monthly basis, maybe a quarterly basis, depending how busy you are. But when you step aside from your normal routine, just to focus on your relationship with God. So that in the presence of God, you can just connect again, breathe deeply, think reflectively about your life and what's happening. And so you can get in touch again with that stream of living water that flows, wants to flow from within you. You can have regular quiet days. Or you can actually have retreat. I, I've given out some little leaflets from this organization called ClearPass. There probably isn't one for everybody, but they're scattered around. You might find one. This is an organization that... Uh, I do work with here in Northern Ireland and uh, come over sometimes to do retreats and quiet days. And uh, this is a list of their program. So here in Northern Ireland, you have a wonderful opportunity to find an, places to go for a quiet day or for a retreat. And one thing that I have seen, and I've seen repeatedly, is that if people will take a few days aside, maybe once a year... It is transformative for their relationship with God. Why? Because if you, if you can slow yourself down, if you can be in that context where it's quiet and still and you can reflect, then things will happen for you. Things will change. God will meet you in that place. It's not asking a lot 
to invest two or three days actually in the, out of all you've got in a year, is it actually for the good of your own soul? But that's what retreat is about. It is about saying, I need to nourish my soul. I need to spend time, quality time with God so that I can be stronger in my faith, so that I can know my true identity and then I can minister out of that identity. So quiet times, regular quiet days and occasional retreats. Or as somebody put it, still points, stopovers and grinding halts. Still points, everybody has still points in the course of their day, in the course of their day. Even the busiest of people. If you look, you will find that there are still points. There's a moment when you can be still. It may be when you're driving your car to work, it may be when you have a coffee break, maybe when it's lunchtime. It, it's just that you find that actually there's a moment here when I can be still. And I can center my heart and my life upon God right there where I am. That's a still point. You can find them in your day. Stopover is something I choose to do. And you have to be intentional about this. You choose to have time aside. People often ask me, well, what do you do to look after your own soul? You're telling everybody else how to look after theirs. What do you do? Well, I plan in my diary every six to eight meet weeks to meet with a group of friends, just five or six of us. They're all uh, men, as it happens, who are lovers of God. And we meet, not because we're church leaders, not because we're in ministry, but because we are seeking God and we seek God together. And we plan it. And, and it's not easy to, do, to, to plan those things, but we get our diaries out and we plan and we, we find a suitable place to go. And we meet and we have coffee and we have a catch-up time. And then we spend the whole morning in personal quiet. And then we have lunch together. And then after lunch, we will share our journey, what's happening, the successes, the challenges. And we'll pray for one another quite deeply. And that, to me, is life-giving. But it's an intentional thing. It's a stopover. Because I'm self-employed, if I take a day off, I don't earn anything. But I also may miss the opportunity of working. So it costs something. Some of my friends, the pastors of busy churches, for them to take a day off also costs them something as well. They have to schedule it and schedule it carefully and protect it. But because they know the importance of it, they're willing to do it. It's an intentional thing, you see. It's something we choose to do. Stopovers and then grinding halts. And sometimes a grinding halt is something that you choose to do. It may be that you choose a retreat and, and you say, I'm going to slow down for a few days here, I'd say. Or it may be something that is given to you. <laughs> and it may not always seem like a blessing at first, but actually sometimes the only way that God can gain our attention is when we become sick or, or something causes us not to be able to follow our normal routine. And God is so often calling to us in those moments and saying, here I am. I desperately want to be with you. May I have your attention. May I have the pleasure of your company. Because God so desires it. So, in the Song of Songs, that lovely illustration of the love that Jesus has for his church. The lover who is King Solomon or uh, Jesus Christ, depending how uh, you think of it. And I think it is an allegory uh, about the love that Christ has for his church. He comes looking for the one he loves. He says this, 
Song of Songs 2 verse 10. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. That's the call. He desires the pleasure of your company. He longs to be with you. Longs to show his heart to you. Long to reveal his love to you. Long just to be with you. Jesus said to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. He wants that friendship. He wants that intimacy with us. Okay, I'm going to stop talking for a moment. Now you'll see on the sheet that you've got there, there there's actually some questions for personal reflection. If you haven't got a sheet, I'll read these out to you. What I want you to do is to choose one of these questions that you would like to answer or respond to. And then, just for five or ten minutes with the person next to you, um, just to share your reflection on that question. And then I'll take questions from the floor uh, after we've done that. But first, I want you to practice something here. I want you to practice responding to what God is saying to you. Not just hearing it and then rushing off, but actually thinking about it. So here are the questions. Stillness gives the opportunity to slow down. Think back over your week. When did you find yourself rushing? Probably just an hour ago, trying to get coffee. When did you feel pressurized for time? On the other hand, when did you feel most relaxed and at peace? Just think about how you're living. Number two, how do you feel about silence? Does it have any negative connotations for you? Some people, you see, were punished by silence. So silence is negative to them. When they did something naughty, they were sent to their room and told to be quiet. So they have a negative experience of silence rather than a positive one. How do you feel about silence? Do you find it difficult to enjoy silence? If so, why might this be? How might you be able to bring more silence into your life? The third one, do you find the idea of solitude appealing or disturbing? Why is this? What might be the benefits of being alone occasionally? So you can choose one of those just to talk about and answer. Uh, I'm just going to give you ten minutes to do that. So please do that and then we'll have uh, five minutes at the end for uh, questions from the floor, okay? Thank you. So if you just try that and then when I call you together, please uh, respond. Don't get lost in your conversation, okay? If you prefer just to be quiet yourself, just say, I'm just going to think about it personally. But it's often helpful for people to share. So you have no problem with talking anyway. Maybe we're silencing. But let me just give an opportunity if there are some questions that have come uh, as you've been listening or even as you've been sharing together and you'd, you'd like me to respond to it. I don't promise to be able to answer everything. But yes, can you... Give a good loud voice. Time for the solitude with God, yeah? Being expectant or... Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, can you build up your expectation of encounter with God so great that you're disappointed that nothing happens? We will talk a little bit about that tomorrow. But, but yeah, it's not actually about getting something from God or actually hearing from God. It is about being with Him. And if God speaks, great. If He doesn't, also great. Many of us, we're so used to kind of 
things which are productive, that we're always looking for an outcome, <laughs> a measurable, tangible outcome. But actually, it's not so much about what we get from this, it's just the fact that we put ourselves in the presence of God, we just simply rest there, and then God will do whatever he wants to do. And he may speak, and he may not. Um, I was reflecting last week on, on retreat. I'm not sure that God is a chatterbox. I don't think he's you know, always actually got something to say. I think when he speaks, he weighs his words, and we will hear uh, when we need to. So, yeah, don't build up your expectations too much because it's about putting yourself in the way of grace. And some days are just ordinary days. And other days are filled with the presence of God, and it's very special. Both are equally valuable, actually. It's not that God is absent. It's just that that's the way it is. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How do you become intentional? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. These things are all good, but how do we become intentional? Do we just walk away and as soon as we've had lunch we've forgotten everything about it? I think it becomes intentional when you realize and understand how important it is. Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me... You can do nothing. And when I understand that actually in my own strength, by my own efforts, I cannot accomplish the will of God, cannot live the life that God wants me to live. When I actually know that, then I will seek his presence because I know apart from him I can do nothing. In order to get to that place of realizing my dependency upon God, God may well have to break me in some kind of way. Because most of us instinctively we feel we can, we feel we ought to, we feel we should. But actually Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. So John 15 is, if you like, the, the basic understanding of how we live the Christian life. And we live it because we abide in him. And the way we abide in him is by the practice of these disciplines, stillness, silence and solitude. That helps me to abide in him. And when I'm, when I'm abiding in him, then I will bear fruit. Fruit in terms of a life that reflects the life of Christ and fruit in terms of a life that is a blessing to other people. So intentionality becomes, because I know this is important, that which is important is what I will do. So I think that's the answer to that really. So you need to be convinced, and I needed to be convinced. I needed to understand in my mind, first of all, why stillness, silence, and solitude are important. Once the penny dropped, then my desire for it came alive. And that's the purpose of this seminar, it's to help you to understand it. And with the help of the Spirit of God, to see it for yourself. And if you see it, then you will want to do it. It doesn't mean it's easy to practice it. But it does mean that, that you'll have the desire to do it. Yes? Uh, why does God speak so quiet, quietly in the first place? I mean, why not lurk in the heavens? Why does he speak in a Because actually, if you heard the voice of God, it would crush you. Listen to the thunder sometime. And that's, that's God on mute. <laughs> but it is true. Actually, the voice of God would crush you if you heard it in full measure and full glory. You just, in creation, you just get a, a little glimpse 
of the sound of his voice. But, but it, it is an act of grace that God speaks quietly to us. But it means we have to learn to be attentive to that still small voice. Is that okay? Yeah. His, his voice brought creation into being. Anything else? Yes, right at the back. Yeah, how do we clear our minds? That is a very important issue. And uh, it is in itself a discipline, I think. It's a practice that we, we have. Uh, some of you will have come across um, teaching about what's called mindfulness. And uh, mindfulness is about actually bringing yourself into the present moment. Actually, mindfulness is not something new in the Christian tradition, in the contemplative tradition. People have always taught how to become present to the presence, how to live in the present moment. So there's a little book called The Sacrament of the Present Moment by a man called Jean-Pierre de Cossard, French priest, who writes about this very thing, about how to bring yourself into the present moment, not living in the past and not living in the future. That's where we tend to be. We tend to drift either back to what was or forwards to what might be and we get consumed with worry and anxiety. But actually we can bring ourselves into the present moment by being still and quiet and meditating upon the Word of God. And uh, for instance, hearing Jesus say to us, have no anxiety about anything. Do not worry about your life. And when you meditate upon that and you come into the present moment, then you're living in this present moment and you take control of your thoughts because your thoughts just kind of pass through your mind like clouds in the sky. But the thoughts are not real. They are just thoughts. That's what they are. And the Bible says, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. So you get hold of it and you bring it and you send to yourself and, uh, and you come into the present moment. And that's something you have to learn to do and you have to practice that until actually you realize you are not your mind you can be objective you can look at your mind and you can examine it and you can decide what of those thoughts you want to keep and what you want to reject so with practice you can actually come into stillness of course the context does help uh, and a still environment helps and being with people who themselves are still will also help Okay, I think, yeah, okay, last one. It's a man called Jean, J-E-A-N, Pierre de Corsade, K-A-U-S-S-A-D-E. And it's a little book called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. And you'll find it on the internet as well. Okay, I think we need to uh, finish there, so let me uh, just pray. Uh, do be careful when you go out because the ground is slippy. So... Don't be rushing, you can go slowly from this seminar. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your word, which is so rich in life to us. It's a light to our path and a lamp for our feet. We thank you that, Lord, you desire the pleasure of our company. You long to be with us, to open your heart to us, just to share fellowship with us. And Lord, I pray that you would put that desire and that hunger within us so that we will seek after you, we'll thirst for you, Lord. And then when we thirst, you will grant us that living water to satisfy our souls. Bless us then, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you. Enjoy your afternoon.